0: Hello, BT, and welcome to the first in our series of teachings through the book of Joshua. We just finished our Torah cycle recently, and now we're going right in, continuing on with the story in Joshua 1, but we're not going to quite get to the text yet. This teaching and the next teaching uh, are going to kind of lay a foundation of context, background, so that we know what we're getting into when we, when we actually do dive into the text. So this is how these are going to work. Um, again, this, this week and the teaching in two weeks will cover the text, or the context and the background. In the middle of those teachings, we actually have a Torah service next week, which I'm excited about. Um, and then after we get into the text uh, and, and these teachings too, there'll be two parts to these teachings. The first is uh, that I will lead us through a study of the text. So we'll get into the text. I'll lead us through a study of that. Then David Deacon, who joins me in the studio slash office here. David, hello. Hello. Um, he's going to then lead us through how we can find connections between where we are in Joshua and where we will be in the Torah cycle. So we'll still be kind of following the Torah cycle again, but we'll we'll try to find the context between Joshua and Joshua and the Torah cycle. Is that is that a fair description of what you're going to do? Sure. Okay, great. Uh, so after I'm done with uh, a bit of background uh, in this video, David's going to swap us out through the magic of video editing. He's just going to appear here in this seat, and he'll carry on uh, with sharing some insights. So that, that'll be great. Um, and again, since we're having a Torah service next week, uh, there'll be this teaching, and then the next teaching on Joshua will be in two weeks. Um, just so you're not looking for that video next week. All right? You got it? Okay. So, where are we in the story? Um, well, the Torah has, has completed. Um, last week, we talked about how the ending of the Torah is a kind of non-ending. It leaves us with some big questions about where Israel is, where they're going, will they go there, things like that, that we understand historically to be the case. We know what happens. But at the end of the Torah, which is the most you know foundational piece of this whole story, uh, there are questions, right? So it's kind of a non-ending. But let's be clear here. The Torah is complete. It is complete as it is, and it is perfect. What follows then is what I would like to kind of talk about here now. So we've we've finished the Torah, and the Torah we understand to be instruction. It is is law. It is all the information we need in order to be a a holy people, a set-apart people. Next we go into the prophets, the Nevi'im. Um as we read through them, what we, uh, what we see is that this is where the law is to be made uh uh, uh is is to go deeper into our minds. Because what are the prophets doing? The prophets are basically taking what is abstract and and attempting to make it concrete. We're seeing specific examples, circumstances, scenarios, situations, etc where they have to make a decision, what is most important of all the mitzvot, right here, right now, uh, in order to, to solve a problem, uh, to bring about correction, to reward or to punish. We should ask the questions, um, what should I be caring about right now? What, what mitzvot should I be caring about right now? Um, when I read through the prophets, where is a prophet getting angry? Why is he getting angry? Um, where is he uh, uh, praising others, and and why? So we're trying to to connect this Torah, this instruction that is that is very big and 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 exhaustive, and applying it uh, to the here and now, to the practical. So that's what's happening with the nevi'im, the prophets. So if the Torah is instruction, the prophets are. Uh, Moving that abstract in deeper into our minds, so we understand and we can make these connections. Then we go into the writings. The writings, which consist of poetry, songs, prayers. Uh, it's called the wisdom writing, um, and and then also the uh, the Brit Khadasha. Um What happens is these are where what we're learning moves from our head and starts to move into our heart, right? This beautiful literature, uh, beautiful writings that that are less about the practical and more about, uh, uh, I guess you could call it more about the spiritual, right? It's just, it's moving it from our head to our heart. And then with the Brit Karasha we have that that kind of complete heart invasion, right? Um, We need Yeshua to help us complete that transaction, to really bring it deep into our hearts. Um, and but but that's not where we are. Where we are right now is the Torah uh, has completed and now we're we're beginning this journey through Joshua, which is the first of the prophets, um, and the first in a series of of examples and case studies, as it were, of how to apply the mitzvot we have learned about in the Torah—two scenarios in our lives. So that's that's where we are. Um, and again, while the Torah ends with kind of a leading ending, it is complete. We must understand that—that that it is complete. Um, and the the the, uh, the story, though, uh, the story though is not complete, um, and that, and that's and that's important too. Um, God leaves us off at the the end of the Torah with his instruction and says, okay, now is the time where we uh, 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 are building on the foundation of Torah. And the fullness of life is then realized through what it is we build on top of this foundation. And in Joshua, we see the first steps in deciding what it is we're going to build, how we're going to construct this thing we call our life. So that's where we are in the story. That's why um, I'm excited about going into Joshua, especially after finishing a Torah cycle. I hope you are too. Um, So just a a few thoughts to chew on about uh, about the context um, of this book. And so now, with the magic of video editing, David Deacon is going to magically appear in my seat in 3, 2, one ta Ta-da!
1: Um, Hello, everybody, and um, I'm very excited to be here sharing some thoughts. This is a new seat for me, so um, bear with me. But um, as I learn how to do a little bit of what Tim has been learning how to do, he's getting very good at it, I have to say. Um, But as many of you know, I've been uh, doing a lot of thinking about the calendar, and, and much more than the calendar, too. And by God's grace... He has led me into some insights, um, what I call the salvation pattern. So another way to say that would be the Yeshua pattern, since his name means salvation. And this is the same name as the book of Joshua or Yahashua, which is Tim's choice for our next study. So in other words, for some years now, I've been studying Joshua, Yeshua in the calendar and in other places, And so when Tim asked if I'd be willing to jump in with him a bit on this next set of teaching videos, I could see that this was probably God nudging me to start bringing forth a little of what I have been learning and what he's been teaching me. And two, Tim was thinking about how he could also touch upon the weekly Torah portions while studying Joshua. So at this particular point in my study, I happened to be studying the salvation pattern in the Torah portions. So, all of this is to explain that, Lord willing, I'll be sometimes jumping into these videos to bring some thoughts that focus on really connecting together three things. One, the Torah portions. Two, the time of year, the spiritual season we're in. And three making connections between these seasonal themes and the book of Joshua. So let me say that again, in case it went by kind of quickly. I'm going to try to bring out connections between the weekly Torah portions, the calendar, and the book of Joshua. So this first teaching will be a little bit longer than what I would plan to um, make you all sit through on a regular basis. Um, As I have to lay some groundwork about what I'm talking about with these spiritual seasons and um, applying that to the book of Joshua and the Torah portion. So there's a lot of connecting going on. And um, when I looked over my notes for this, it was so dense in places that um, it, <coughs> I'd almost read like prose poetry, which is not my intention. Um, I'd rather communicate one idea successfully than wax poetic for an hour. Um, but I'm learning more and more the truth of what Grant has often taught us um, about learning spiritual things. He says that um, if you're trying to discern the spiritual root, you can only use the physical pictures that were given. Um, you just kind of have to talk around the thing for a while with with what you know and what you can see. And so that means we're always talking in metaphors if we're trying to reach the spiritual root, Um, the metaphors of the physical creation and life that God has given us. So it's a shadow lens, as C.S. Lewis called it, and we have to talk in the shadows um, to kind of get to the, the light behind it. So I say all this partly to say don't feel pressure to try to understand and remember everything. Uh, For one thing, you can always listen again, uh, but mostly I have it in mind that you just let these ideas kind of just wash over you and let the spirit pull out of you and impress upon you what you need to hear today. It's going to be a lot of ideas. So all of the main ideas and connections I'll be making come around again and again And so if you miss it this time, you might catch it the next time. So first, let me say that drawing thematic connections between particularly Joshua and the earlier Torah portions seems very valid to me. Because if if we were to just keep going in the Bible, in the Torah, um, beyond Vezot HaBrockah, the last Torah portion, we would be in the book of Joshua. But instead, we go back to the beginning. We go back to Bereshit. But there's a kind of relationship between these first portions of Bereshit and Noach and Lech Lech especially um, with Joshua. Because like I said, we would be just reading in Joshua if we kept going forward. Um, So let's jump in by talking about the time of year. We are in now in some of the themes for this spiritual season. So as the seasons shift, God makes specially available to us different ways of growing spiritually. So a plant grows in different ways throughout the year. And so do we spiritually. You know, we're compared to trees in, in scripture. So it's based on the seasons that God has designed and leads us through. We can always repent, for example, but there is a time of the year that God has specially designed for making repentance come more easily than other times. Like I said, you're going to always repent, um, and we should be repenting often. But there's a special time of the year where God says, I'm going to help you in this process. I'm going to make this easier for you now. And that's what that season is. So... um, Another example, we can always dive deep into the word and dig for new insights and be inspired deeply in the word. But there's also a special season in the year that God has for making that easier. So the season we are in now is the fall. And to make the most specific connections to this season and the spiritual work of this season, uh, we need to focus on what is happening in Israel uh, where it 's also autumn, Israel being in the northern hemisphere um, is in the fall like we are, so um, Israel is the geographic center point of salvation in the world, and so we 're going to see the salvation pattern play out in the seasons most clearly there, and that it has its reflection here in Ohio, where we are right now but we're going to see it most clearly there. And so we're going to focus on the fall, the autumn in in Israel and what's going on there, especially agriculturally. Um, So um, their calendar is a little different from ours when it comes to the agricultural calendar in in Israel. I want to focus on several themes connected um, to that physical season there in Israel. I'm going to bring out four from this season, particularly in Israel. So, in the land of Israel, the first one is um, the rains are just beginning again around Sukkot. And that's an important thing. The rains, you know, people who lived in biblical times and who wrote the Bible, they're, they're walking through these seasons as God is inspiring them to write. So now the rains are beginning around Sukkot. Um, and the ground is being readied for the all-important barley and wheat crops. Uh, For the planting of them, the nights are growing longer and the days shorter. And that's another theme we'll talk about. The nights getting longer, the days shorter. And the olives are ripening and being harvested. So that's another theme, the olive harvest. So let's take a look at each of those in turn. Um, So first, the rains are starting um, again. Um, Throughout the dry summer, the heavens and the earth have been disconnected from each other. Okay, The heavens, the earth, they've been disconnected. It's bone dry in Israel during the summer. When it begins to rain again, this is the reconnection of the heavens and the earth. Uh, It happens at a time of year when mankind is focused on repentance. And when God is extending his grace in the form of Yeshua presenting his blood as a covering at Yom Kippur in the heavenly holy of holies, right? We've got those 10 days of all, which are focused on repentance. We're reaching up to God and he's reaching down to us at the same time with Yeshua, with Yeshua taking his blood into the holy of holies. And, um, So God is making that pathway for reconnecting with us through the blood of the Messiah. And the marriage of the groom and his bride is completed. The reconnection of heaven and earth. Uh, The cohabitation of man and wife now begins. And this is pictured at Sukkot. Sukkot is picturing many things. One of the things it's picturing is God has married his bride again. And that's us. And now we cohabit together. And uh, the sukkah is partly picturing that for us. So the rains are also bringing fertility. and, And this fertility is an important part of marriage. The early rains soften the parched ground, making them ready for the plow and soon the seeds. Again, we're talking about fertility here. We have just been married to God again, and now we go about the business of being a bride. And perhaps more importantly than anything else, the bride receives the seed implanted within her, and she waters it, and she cares for it, and she brings it to maturity. So the sowing, the sprouting, and the rapid growth of the seed is another important theme of the fall. These seeds sprout quickly in, in Israel when they are sown in the damp earth. It's, it's within a matter of days that they come shooting up out of the ground. It's an amazing thing to see that, that scorched brown earth all of a sudden get a kind of a, a hazy green, and then that deepens um, as, the, as the shoots come out. So um, we are in the early stages now of the new six-month journey within the year which started on Rosh Hashanah and the grain crop is mirroring for us the development of this journey so as those grain as that grain is being sown as as the earth is being prepared the the seeds are being sown they're sprouting they're growing quickly all of that is mirroring something that God is making available for us in this season what are we really talking about with these seeds and this pregnancy We're really talking about the word implanted within us. The word implanted within us. God is not content to simply cover over our sins with the blood of the Messiah at Yom Kippur. No, he wants to change our hearts. He wants to write the Torah on our hearts so that we engage him through the Torah from a heart of genuine love and not mere duty. So our stony hearts must be softened, actually replaced, to receive the seed of the word, the Torah on the heart. And we are in the midst of this time of softening of the heart. Now, it began with a circumcision of the heart performed by Yeshua himself. A lot of this is just speculative, so take it all with a grain of salt. But well, I'm going to say in my studies, you um, can't be adamant. I, I, I change all the time with how I, my understanding is developing. And so uh, I'm just giving you some ideas to think about. But uh, there is a special day in the calendar, which is an eighth day. And we know eighth day is, is associated with circumcision. And so that eighth day is the eighth day of Sukkot. And um, I believe if you look at what Yeshua is doing there um, on the eighth day in Jerusalem, he's doing a circumcision of Israel. And so this is if we're talking about the seed placed in the heart and the heart being softened and the heart being opened, it's, I'm touching the microphone. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and if we're talking about the heart being softened and open to the word. It starts on Shemini Etzeret in a way. With a second circumcision, the circumcision of the heart, and this is something that um, Yeshua does himself. Um, but there's another side um, to the rains. There's another side to the rains than the softening of the earth. Eventually, the rains will increase in strength to the point that they can really pummel the earth. Uh, this is at first they're gentle, and the the earth, the parched earth, just absorb it. But but. Fairly quickly, it becomes a much harder rain. So the early rains are called yore, from the root to teach, where, where Torah comes from. Um, we absorb those rains, like I said, but the latter rains, malkosh, if, I don't know if I'm saying that right, come from a, a root that means something like to gather up the pieces after something has been destroyed. To gather up, you, you know what it's like after it's rained really hard and the wind has come through and in Ohio, uh, trees are just dropping all kinds of things all over the place. You've got to go clean up. And that's kind of what this word, malkosh, for the latter rains is connoting, is bringing um, meaning that it's bringing with it. So um, a part of this season is the anticipation of a coming cleansing, a coming cleansing. These latter rains are, are really cleansing the earth. So this time we are in now is a time to prepare for that battle because that cleansing is a battle. It's a battle. So the rain clouds are also doing something else. Okay? We, we talked about the rain kind of softening the earth. We talked about the rain cleansing the earth. But these, these clouds that are bringing the rain, they're also bringing greater darkness with them. Uh, they're, they're kind of covering up the sun, blocking the sun, and further darkening the surface of the earth. And this brings us to another theme of the season, the growing darkness. So we're going to take a little more time with this one because this is a big topic in scripture. We're constantly reading about light and dark. Um, it's very important early on in the Torah, in Bereshit, you know, in places like that. So... The most This is the most obvious progression, in fact, in the, in the whole year is this changing of the length of the day and the night. Every day is either getting a little bit longer or a little bit shorter. It's never static. Uh, so let's talk for just a minute about what it means that the darkness is growing at this time of year, because there is a critical understanding here. By God's design, the darkness is being given precedence over the light. So that, that is the nights are now longer than the day in the northern hemisphere, which is where most of the people on the planet live and where Israel is. So the autumn equinox is September 22nd or 23rd when the days and the nights are both 12 hours throughout the entire earth, everywhere on the earth on September 20. Third, I think it was this year. Um, Everywhere you go north and south of the equator on that day, the day was 12 hours and the night was 12 hours. Um, As of the date today, we're now nearing the end of October and the night is dominating the day. So the darkness is growing and it will continue to grow until late December when we reach another solstice. So, what are we to make of, of the, this darkness in the year? My main point will be that the bride cannot truly step up to be the bride without this darkness. So let's first understand that God creates the darkness. There's nothing inherently evil about it. In fact, he creates the darkness for good, for good purposes. He creates both the darkness And the physical world, which is a kind of brother to the darkness or a facet of the darkness, this physical stuff that hides the spiritual light, um, it is a kind of darkness. So he creates those things to mask himself so that we can have freedom to choose him without us sensing his blinding light always surrounding us and even inside of us. Grant has often explained to us that if... God is always clear and obvious to us. If he's right in front of us, and if we, if we know he's just going to smack us on the behind every time we do anything wrong, we're just not going to do anything wrong. It's too obvious. It's too clear uh, what, what the consequences are going to be. So we just wouldn't sin. And we don't have a lot of choice um, in that situation. Um, so... We will, It is. It's only when he is hidden in the darkness and physicality and time, as Grant has explained, and a fallen world, it's when he's hidden behind those things that we have a real choice. So this is the purpose of the darkness to hide God so that we can walk in faith and not by sight to choose him, and it be a real choice and ultimately to have a real relationship with him based on choice and not force. All right, so as, as the nights grow longer and dominate the day at this time of year, we can expect God to be taking a bit of a step back, becoming a little harder to sense tangibly or in our circumstances, though he's always there. He's always there. Don't forget that he's always there, just sometimes a little harder to sense. This seemingly greater distance from God in our need to walk more by faith are themes of the spiritual season and of the book of Joshua too. So the darkness is good. However, evil also thrives in darkness. So it is that at this time of year when God is taking a step back and the believer's free will is increasing, that the evil of the surrounding culture is also being empowered especially for the persecution of believers. So, so right at this time when these dark clouds are coming and the, the darkness is increasing on the face of the earth, um, the rains are increasing in, in their power and cleansing, uh, the darkness, the evil that can flourish in the darkness is being empowered for persecution of the believers. Um, and the believer is calling out to God, God, where, where are you in this? that persecution should be welcomed because it drives a cleansing of the body of believers that culminates in Hanukkah, In Hanukkah, which is a celebration of the cleansing of the temple. So this persecution that leads to cleansing is yet another theme of the fall. So the growing darkness in the impending battle with the forces of culture, this cleansing, is a time that we need to hear God's encouragement to be strong and courageous. It requires courage to pick up the sword and fight for the unseen God. However, the reward is very great. As I alluded earlier, it's in in, um, just this faith journey in the darkness that we are able to grow to our most mature point, deepening our relationship with our groom. That point of ultimate maturity and fruitfulness happens later in the year. Not so much now. Now is more about the beginning of a second phase and rapid growth. Like a child. A little child is going to grow rapidly, right? As God takes a step back and hides himself a bit under his winter clothing, and the journey gets a bit tougher, we are being, being given the right conditions to really grow even while the wheat and barley are sprouting and shooting forth and rapidly stretching upward. It is by walking in faith and self-sacrifice that we become the bride God desires. It is by walking in faith and self-sacrifice that even goes beyond the Torah. Let me say that again. A self-sacrifice that even goes beyond the Torah that the helpless girl who was rescued from slavery in Egypt becomes the wife who brings of her own being and will to her marriage to the king. So here in the fall, we're just beginning the phase of our yearly journey that is especially focused on increased faith and increased self-sacrifice. So we find a point later when self-sacrifice reaches its heights As when Queen Esther says in the Purim story, Purim being much later in the year, in in the late winter, she says, I'll do it. And if I die, I die. That's self-sacrifice. That's a picture of what we're heading toward. And even later than the Purim story and even higher than that, we hear those incredible words at Passover. It is finished. This giving of self is the goal of the journey that we are now just beginning to taste taste how how that journey feels um, in the fall. Though the darkness grows, God is providing for us a different kind of light, the light of the olive. And this is another major theme of this season. This is the third harvest, the third major harvest in the order of the main harvests. Which, if you, if you think to, to the Shema, the order of the main harvests is grain in the spring, wine in the summer, and oil in the fall. And so the oil pressed from the olives being harvested now will help to light the long nights coming in the winter. But what is important about the light that comes from the olive is that man has a role to play in bringing forth this winter light. You can think of the light from the oil lamp as light from below in contrast to the light from above, the light of the sun and the moon and the stars. What we're talking about here is mankind taking that light from above, internalizing it and expressing it through his own vessel and through his own free will. This is the bride becoming the bride. Uh, Both this light from below and the growing darkness are important themes related to this season, and again to Hanukkah, which is a sort of capstone on these light and dark ideas. Recall that the Hanukkiah is a lamp that shines in our windows, right? With the, with the oil, you could say, an oil lamp. It shines in our windows when the darkness outside has reached its greatest point. It's usually around the winter solstice is when Hanukkah happens. So the season of the year, fall, is the general context for each of the Torah portions we are reading now. We will find each of these season-related themes in each of these early portions, especially, though some seasonal themes will come through more strongly than others in each portion. And each portion, however, will uniquely add a specific focus and instruction to how we approach the the spiritual season of the year. So let me say that again. Um, in, In other words, you know, I've just laid out for you some themes of the season. Each of the Torah portions, Bereshit and Noach and Lech Lecha, these are each going to be expressing um, these themes of darkness growing, these themes of the rain's beginning. Each of these first Torah portions are going to be expressing that. But some of those Torah portions will grab hold of certain themes more than others. So for example, in Noach, the theme of the cleansing of the vessel is is very strong. Obviously, the earth is cleansed in Noach. And some of the other themes, maybe not as much in Noach, but they're there. Um, and at, by the same token, Noach is going to add a very specific lens for how we approach this particular season. Um, so let's go ahead and move to portion Noach now with... Um, these things, you know, out of the way. But let me go ahead and summarize those again quickly, those seasonal themes. I brought out four of them. There are more, but I think these are the most important ones. The coming of the rains, um, which we connected to the reconnection to God and even marriage to God, and a softening of the heart and eventually a cleansing of the vessel. Um, Secondly, the sowing of the seed, Receiving the word on the heart and nurturing it. Thirdly, the growing darkness. And this is associated with greater free will to be the bride. And it's also associated with cleansing through persecution. Okay, so cleansing from two angles there. And then the olive harvest. And this is mankind having a role to play in bringing forth God's light as we mature. All right, so let's turn now to the weekly Torah portion, Noach, where we will see a few of these themes emphasized. Parsha Noach has several main ideas that jump out at us. And so first, we have the command to build and enter the ark, a vessel, a teva, for salvation and self-sacrifice and transcendence. Second, we have the cleansing of the earth by water, Third, we have the command to come out of the ark and start over again, a new beginning on a newly cleaned earth, creating a new world. And fourth, we have the Tower of Babel, which speaks to us of the great power for evil, um, for the evil of a unified human-centered culture. Okay. Noah is told to build an ark, first of all, and... I think in this instruction we find sort of the key piece that Parsha Noah adds to our understanding of this spiritual season. Noah really has something special to add here to the, con- to the discussion. So we're learning something um, about the season. And what are we learning? We're learn- we have learned in the past that the word teva, ark, can also mean word. Noah har- labors. To enter into the Word the Teva, the Word which saves, mean it took him decades and decades to build this ark, did it not uh, this this word, which is also the vessel for self sacrifice, and let me talk about the sac- self sacrifice in the ark for a minute, according to tradition, because we know that Yeshua 's word to us and the Torah is all about self sacrifice, putting ourselves second and Someone else first, self-sacrifice. So how is Noah and the ark connected to self-sacrifice? Well, according to tradition, he ran himself ragged on that ark. Um, Imagine the weight of the responsibility he is given to keep the last surviving pair of every land animal alive. I mean, any little sneeze, you'd be worried, right? Um, It wasn't a picnic inside the ark. It was a place of self-sacrificial living but also much joy, much bonding between man and beast and between the animals themselves. It was a place where the lion and the lamb dwelled together in peace. In the ark, they were forced to do so, which is a function of not yet reaching maturity. Uh, you know, you, they didn't have a choice in, in this thing. But the peace and harmony in the ark is just a picture of a greater fulfillment to come in the Messianic age. And this connection to the Messianic age is not by accident. The Ark is very much about the Messiah. As Grant has taught us, it is a picture of being in him and in his word. So what is Parsha Noach adding to our understanding of how we walk this spiritual season? Noach is telling us that in this season of the fall... We are to particularly focus on the words and example of the one who leads us through the fall and winter, Yeshua, the Messiah. And we are to labor to enter into those words, like Noah built that ark, built the Teva. As we see the darkness and chaos and persecution approaching, as God takes a step step back and we know we are preparing to wage war against a powerful enemy, we prepare by laboring in the words of our Messiah. We build the Teva. Can I suggest that we spend even just a few minutes each morning reading the words of Yeshua in the Gospels in this season? They are both water for the seed within us and a mighty weapon to wage war against the culture which wants to inundate us like a flood. So moving on. Noah is told to come out of the ark and begin a new world. It is a new starting point for mankind. And this is a more obvious connection to this season of planting seeds. As Noah exits the ark, it's as if God says to him, Be strong and courageous, Noah, and create a new world. How does God speak this message about courage to Noah and indeed all the animals? He says... It is like this, I know you and your family are few and the animals will soon be many, but I'm putting the fear of man within them. They will be afraid of you. And as far as man's violence against man goes or beast rising up against man, know that if anyone spills the blood of another person, I will require a reckoning for that spilled blood. And to all of you, man and beast alike, be about the work of filling the earth with the breath of life again. And don't be concerned that all that work will again be washed away in an instant. I pledge to never destroy the earth with water again, and the rainbow will be my sign that, that pledge, of that pledge to both man and beast. So be encouraged by these things and go out and build. Be strong and courageous. You can do this because I will be with you make a new world. So Noah's family carries within it the seed of righteousness with which the earth will be repopulated. This is a seed that Adam in his early innocence and fall did not have in the same way that Noah did, coming years later and righteous despite great external pressures. And Noah, you Noah, know, Adam, he didn't have a lot of people pushing him toward evil like Noah did, and yet Noah was righteous, right? So this is something special about Noah. So we can all be proud that we can trace our ancestry back to this righteous man. The seed that he carried within him was the seed of righteousness. We stand in the same place as Noah now. God is giving us the gift of a new beginning in the fall. Like Noah, we stand at the door of the ark, And look out at a new world with a changed heart beating in our chests. Let us do our part now to labor in the word, to nourish the seeds within us and fashion swords for the battle ahead. Let's just turn briefly to the book of Joshua. At the beginning of the book, the people stand on the edge of darkness, ready to enter in. So how is it that I say they stand at the cusp of a darker place? This is so because in entering the land, they are in a sense entering a more concrete place where the light of God is less obvious as the daily miracles of cloud and manna end. A place where they are not being led directly by God from stop to stop. A place where they will busy themselves daily with the stuff of earth and stone and wood a place where they will have to plant crops themselves by virtue of sweat and prayer. In the land, they are given a greater free will to follow a God who is slightly more cloaked in the darkness of physicality. They are being given a greater chance to walk by faith and step up to be the bride that God wants them to be. And so by way of connection to the idea of laboring in the words of Yeshua, Early in the story of Joshua, the people do just this, submitting to the word of Joshua and to his leadership. It seems that, for the most part, they submitted to Joshua earlier when Moses publicly laid hands on him. But in Joshua 1, we see at least the eastern tribes, those tribes that are going to settle on the east, um, Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, we see them affirming their commitment to Joshua and not just to Joshua. They, they commit to following his words. It is only within this loyalty to the leader and the careful attention to his words and instructions that they will find salvation. So there are many more connections, I'm sure, we could find between Joshua and the ideas we've been discussing. I'll just put one final one in here, and that is the cleansing of the land of Israel. The land must be cleansed of the imp- impure nations uh, that are squatters there. In Joshua, however, it is not God sending a cleansing flood, but it is the people themselves who are commanded to pick up the sword and cleanse the land. Joshua is showing us a higher level of maturity than Noah, but the cleansing of the land is not exactly the first order of business for Israel, Their first goal is to get to Mounts Ebal and Gerizim to renew the covenant there, speaking out the blessings and the curses there. And I think Jericho and I, these are the first two that they uh, conquer. I think they're just kind of in the way. The Israel is just kind of barging in and saying, we want to get to Mount Gerizim and Ebal. We want to renew the covenant, but you guys are in our way. So they have to do a little battle first. Um, but So the order is like this. They cross the Jordan. They're circumcised for the second time by Joshua. They head up to those mountains. And what does Joshua do there? He writes the Torah on the land itself. He is planting the Torah like a seed in the land. And then they begin cleansing the land in earnest. The end result will be the establishing of a new kingdom, a new world, and much fruitfulness. So you can see how the book echoes particularly strongly with the themes of the spiritual season of autumn. Think about all those themes now as I read some verses from Haftura Noah, Noach, Isaiah 54, and some surrounding verses from Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 55. So just let these words kind of wash over you. We're thinking about themes of marriage and the planting of the seed of Yeshua, our leader, his example and his words, and taking refuge in him of cleansing by water and sword, of courageously starting a new world, a new kingdom. These are the ideas we just have in our head as we read from the half Torah for Parsha Noach. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will... Forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be moved, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. You shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Well, thank you for listening. And um, I'm excited about this journey through Joshua that we are taking now. And um, Shabbat shalom, everybody. And as Tim likes to say, um, from Grant, I know, uh, may he make us all into the people that he wants us to be. Shalom.